Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. I still got a long way to go, but I know that when I sense that he's near, I don't want to leave that place. You know what I'm talking about? It, it's, uh, I know the answers will come, but I don't always need the answers to continue to stay in that place. I'm just happy to be with him. Because when you're with him, nothing else will do. Like there's no other presence that will do. I know that New Year's Eve, I, uh, it's not my message, so I'm just talking about prayer. But the last couple of years, Romy and I spent New Year's Eve the same way. But we just spent the last couple of New Year's Eve in, in prayer. Is, and, and here's the thing is I, you know how you used to, you used to, sorry, I used to, okay, I want to spend New Year's Eve praying about all the things I'm believing God for in 2020. I actually kind of switched it a little bit and just said, I actually just want to look back at all everything that God's done in the last year. And I started making a list of just thanking Him for all the things that He had done. And, you know, I thought it would take just a couple of seconds to write it down, and I was an hour into it, and I just kept, I'm writing in tears, just remembering things that I forgot that God had done. But as I'm beginning with this spirit of thankfulness, you're fine. By the way, the restroom's over there, so feel free to walk this way together. I don't mind, I promise you. It's not an interruption at all. And uh, when you have three kids and three dogs, you're not easily distracted. So, um, But I remember spending New Year's Eve just beginning to thank God for what He had done. And as I did, I felt His presence. And so I remember there were times, maybe you did too, when five minutes felt like five days of prayer. You're like, oh God, I ran out of stuff to ask God or to talk to Him about. And now I don't know what to do, so I'm just kind of playing on my phone, looking at my watch. But when I began to just thank Him, for the things that he had done, an hour passed by like that. It was so funny. And then I think Akeem called me or texted me and, and, uh, that night and said, he was telling me that they had a couple people at their house gathered to kind of do the same thing. And he says, we've really switched gears. We've really just, instead of asking God for what we're believing for in 2020, we just started thanking him. For, I was like, this is hilarious. Because that's literally what I was doing in the moment when I was doing it. But it was in that moment that I could really feel his presence. I think there's something to thankfulness, and I think there's something about experiencing His presence that draws you closer and makes you want to stay there. So I don't know if you had in your New Year's resolutions or your goals this year to pray more or to be more fervent in prayer. Maybe it is. It's kind of a consistent thing in mind, but can I encourage you that rather than looking for answers to the prayers to encourage you, look for Him. Because you'll find them in that quiet place, in that secret place. I just prayed with, you know, Tim and Margarita, and I said, how can I pray for you for 2020? She said, would you pray that we would be more thankful? And I was like, yes, I can. Because that's an answer that God would love to give, and you'll feel them this year. Amen? Not my message, but just a thought on prayer, so I'll kind of get into the Word. Uh, Rummy and the kids, I know a lot of you have been kind of either following on social media or in uh, the, the multitude of prayer group texts that we have um, floating around in Virginia Beach. But they've been in Australia. They left the day after Christmas to go 
uh, visit with her family. And they've had a, a couple of fires in the region, if you haven't noticed that. It's been about, uh, it's close to about five miles from where they are is where the wildfires have been. Australia has fires every year. It's never a big deal. But this year, they kind of moved a little bit closer to the coast where people live. And so it's been a little bit of a bigger threat. Um, uh, but they have gotten rain over the last two days. And so most of the stuff that's been threatening where she lives is now gone. So thank you for your prayers. And uh, I love that we don't have a God that's worried about the weather. You know what I mean? Like when God sees fires, he doesn't go, oh my gosh, fires, what am I going to do? You know, he's just looking for us to respond. And, and when we pray, things happen. So I, I want to, like if we're making a record of this, there were wildfires. We asked you guys to pray. You prayed. It rained. Those fires are no longer a threat. Can we just keep the record straight of what actually happened, that God responded to your faith and, and, and sent what was needed for the area? I think that's pretty good. You're allowed to clap at that. You're allowed to get excited that we prayed for rain and it rained. We still need rain in the rest of the country, but let's not forget what God did. <clears throat> but this week has got me thinking about a story in the Bible. And so I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Daniel chapter 3. Now, whether you um, have read much of the Bible or not, it's completely okay, because I'm going to share this whole story with you. Some of you, this may be a familiar story. Some of you, this may be new. If you're like me, for some of you, this may be a story that you thought you knew in the Bible because you'd heard it so many times, but then you read it yourself. You're like, I never saw that. Anybody ever done that? Anybody actually read a story in the Bible and go, oh, wait a minute, that didn't happen, but that did. I do that. That's why I love actually reading the Bible for myself. I know it's a novel concept, but getting it and actually reading it and letting God speak to you directly through his word is a pretty cool process. So we lost it. Let's try again. Daniel chapter 3. Are we there? Can we get it back up? I hope so because I didn't write my scriptures down. Good. I'm going to read with you. Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold. So to give you a little background on this story, um, Israel, God's people, his nation, they had sinned against God. They had not obeyed him like Akeem was talking about. So they ended up in captivity. God used this nation called Babylon to punish Israel for the time so that they would come back to him. And Babylon had come in and invaded Israel and taken them captive back to the city of Babylon where they pretty much served as slaves and a conquered people. Okay? Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon that instituted this invasion and captivity, okay? So this is who they're talking about. So then Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Next, next verse. Our computer's a little slow. Next verse. That's co totally that computer. I'm going to have to get my Bible out. Do we have another verse? I'll get my Bible. Then a herald cried aloud. There we go. Then a herald cried aloud. To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, 
lyre, and psaltery. Who I have no idea what a psaltery is. And symphony with all kinds of music. You shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Now, this sounds absurd to us. This leader builds an idol, says everybody's got to worship this, and if you don't do this like everybody else is doing, you're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. What would the equivalent of that be today? If you don't think exactly the way we think, and if you don't believe exactly the way we believe, we're going to roast you on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. We're going to make you an outcast. The world's not different. Our fiery furnaces just look a little different than they did back in the time. So let's have a look at this next scripture. Let's find out what happens. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, and the lyre, and symphony with all kinds of musics, all the people, nations and languages. Now, what were these people, nation, and languages? They were conquered people, nations, and languages. Okay, They're doing what they're told. They fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. Now, here's a problem with the Jews. The problem with the Jews is that they don't believe like everybody else believed. You see, Babylon operated the same way Rome did when Jesus came. They conquered a people group, and they pretty much let you have your religion. So what did, what did Rome say? Rome said, yeah, 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 this Christianity thing... That's fine. You can worship any God you want so long as you also worship Caesar. So as long as Caesar's first, we don't care what you do. Same thing that Nebuchadnezzar says. He says, look, you can worship whatever God you want so long as you also bend your knee and worship me. I think it's a picture of a lot of our culture that we have today. You know what? You can do this revival thing. You you can be about seeing rivers of living water come from you. you. You can profess to know Christ and you can even spread the gospel. So long as you also think like we do. So long as you also first worship the things that the world worships. And they want you to have it both ways. They want you to be one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. You can be kingdom minded so long as you don't put it above the world. But this is what happens, because for the Jews, the problem they had is they can never put anything above God. There is only one God. We worship the one God. So we can't do what you're asking us to do, even though everybody else around them, because they had so many other gods, they're like, look, that's cool. We'll worship Caesar. We'll just throw in the mix of all the other gods that we have. The Jews said, that's going to be a problem for us. Because this God that we worship, though we're in captivity now, He's the one that took us out of Egypt. He's the one that gave us a promised land. We're in this because of our mess, not because of His mess. And we can only worship the one true God. So then these people spoke about the Jews, and they spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery. I don't know why they list them all every time. And and symphony, with all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. 
There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Who hates a tattletale? Don't, you know what I mean? Like, mind your own business. And anyway, then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I've set up? Now, if you are ready at the time, you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made. Good! What's he saying? He goes, look, you, you must have not gotten the, the, the email. You must have missed. You, you must have opted out of the group text. You must have somehow missed the, the announcement we made on Instagram. So I'm a, let me tell you myself, this is what you're supposed to do. You got it? I want to make sure the instructions are clear. So he says, but if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression of his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Boy, don't get on a narcissist's last nerve, because this is what happens. What do they do? They turn up the heat seven times hotter. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind them and cast them into the fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Check out what happens. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished as he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men into the bound, bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning, fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. So they came out from the midst of the fire. And the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, 
nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Have you ever been around a campfire, like maybe just a fire pit in your backyard, and you were only there for 30 seconds, but it's seven days later, and you can't get the smell of the campfire out of your clothes? We went camping not too long ago, and I still cannot wash the smell of the campfire out of this one jacket. It just sticks with you. They're in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace, and they don't smell at all like that campfire. The Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's words and yielded their bodies, yielded their bodies, that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. I love this story. We can call them the three amigos. These three amigos had a plot against their life. Not only from Nebuchadnezzar, but from the tattletales who were just looking for a way to get them into that fiery furnace. There was a plot against them. They had an enemy. They had done nothing wrong. They had lived their life according to their own convictions. And just by living a life based on conviction, they got them in trouble. And there's a furnace that's been created for them. The purpose of the furnace created by this enemy was to steal, kill, and destroy them. That was the purpose of the furnace. This was not a nice, warm little campfire. It was so hot, the people that threw them in were burned and killed when they threw them in. This was intended to kill and destroy them. And I want to express to you, this is maybe not the most encouraging first Sunday of the year message, but it gets better if you stick with me. There are furnaces created for you. The enemy has created furnaces whose only intention towards you is to steal and kill and destroy you. He's got it as hot as it can possibly get. And every time you get a joy-filled breakthrough in your life, it makes him so mad, he cranks it up seven times hotter. Just when things start getting good for you, the fire gets hotter and hotter and hotter. And you start thinking, why do I even keep trying to push forward if every time I get a breakthrough, the furnace just gets hotter? Well, I'm going to help you with that tonight. Because the enemy has a plan for your life, but God's got something else in mind. You see, there's joy in the flames. There's joy in the flames. They get thrown into this fire, but there's a fourth man in the fire. That, that little thing I was telling you about, about pushing forward in prayer for 2020, that the thing that will help you increase in prayer is not just waiting for answers from God, but experiencing His presence when we pray. That's what will motivate you to continue to push forward and stuff. There's a fourth man in your fire. And there's joy in the flames. I can picture Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, look, they did say, our God is able to save us, and He will. But even if He doesn't, they, have, they understood that, hey... I think I know how this works, but sometimes things don't work the way they do in here. There's a little bit of trepidation getting into this fire. But at the very moment that they step into the flames, they're watching their enemies die right next to them. And when they step into the flame, there's that moment of, uh, you know that moment? 
<laughs> and then they step in. And instead of instant death, they see Jesus waiting for them in the flames. Hey, guys! Come on in! The party's just begun! And there is joy in the flames. Not when they got out. There was joy in the fire. Because it says they're walking around. All four of them. Can you imagine walking with Jesus? The problem is we always want to see Jesus when Nebuchadnezzar is threatening. That's the moment when it's really good for Jesus to show up. When all the threat of the enemy comes on and you see the furnace, that's when you're like, okay, Jesus, now would be a great time to show up and go, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, don't do that. But sometimes he's in the fire waiting for us. And we can't see him when we look at the furnace. But the moment we step in, because we have no fear of the flame, when we step in, that's when we see him. And there's joy in the flames. I want to tell you that whatever fire, whatever furnace the enemy has got planned for you, he has no idea what he's doing. But Jesus does. If you read this story, there was something that was burned up. The Bible says their clothes, their turbans, their hair. You know how easy it is to burn hair? You know what it smells like when you burn hair? Like you can smell it a mile away. Those weren't burned, but did you notice they were bound when they went in? But when they came out, they weren't. So something did burn in that fire. It was the ropes that bound them. See, when you step into the furnace and you step into the presence of God, the only thing that burns away are the things that bound you in the first place. The very plans and schemes of the enemy were all that burned off of them because of that fourth man that's in the fire. So yes, something burns in the furnace, but it's not you. There's no smell of smoke. There's no part of them when they came out that for the rest of their lives, people looked at the scars of them and said, oh my gosh, where did you get those third degree burn scars? No one tell. If you met Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and had never heard of that story, you'd have no idea that they were even in the flames. Because they're not going around telling people about how bad their furnace was and all this was terrible. They're just, they've got nothing that shows that they even experienced that in the first place. That's called being healed and whole. Do you know that in this furnace where there's joy in the flames, you can come through the furnace never even revealing anything that you experienced in the past. Every label that's been put on you, everything the enemy has tried to stamp on you, tattoo on you, brand you with, is gone. That's the ropes. That's the identity. When you have your hands bound, it's the enemy saying, you are a prisoner, you are a captive, you are subject to me. But when you step into the fire, the same fire meant to destroy you, God destroys every label, every tattoo. I don't mean physical tattoos. I mean 
branding. You know what I'm saying? Everything that's been put on you by the enemy, by other people, he removes it all. And you step out of the flames completely clean. So that thing that you thought was going to hold you back, that thing that you thought, I might be saved, but I can never really do anything for God because of my past, he wipes it all away. And it's burned in the flames. And you come out full of the Spirit and the presence of God. Psalm 23, verse 4. I love Psalm 23. It's probably the first chapter in the Bible I memorized as a kid. It says, yay, I'm throwing you some New King James right now. Yay, yay. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I remember there's a famous quote out there that I don't know what movie it's from, that when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll feel no evil because I'm the baddest guy in the valley. Anybody ever heard that? What movie was that from? (laughs) Probably was, right? So sometimes we, we read things and we go, that's right, I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. But forget the why. We forget the why. I'll fear no evil for you are with me. The reason we can walk through the valley, the reason we can step into the furnace and not fear the flames, not fear death, is because of his presence that's with us. It is the thing that helps us alleviate any fear of the evil one. Isaiah 43 verse 2 even tells us, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, and your Savior. Oh, thank you, Jesus. God, I thank you that you're with us in the fire. I thank you, Lord, that what the enemy intended for evil, you have made good in us. I thank you that you are with us in this fire. And whatever fire it is that you're facing right now, there is another man in that fire and you can rejoice in the flames. There's joy in the flames. Somebody say amen. Amen. Let me tell you what these flames do. These flames, this furnace, when you're living for Jesus, they don't destroy, they refine. The same furnace that was built to destroy becomes a refining fire when we decide to live for Him. In Zechariah 13.9, the Bible tells us, Zechariah 13.9, we'll get to it in a minute. We'll lay hands on that computer in Jesus' name. Zechariah 13.9, maybe I didn't give it, that's okay. We'll get to it in a minute. But I want to encourage you that this, this same furnace, the same furnace intended to destroy, God used it to refine. It took on a new purpose. Where the enemy's intention is to destroy, God's purpose is to refine. It's to refine. So I was thinking about this. This thing here, this is my wedding ring, right? Probably the most valuable thing I have, not monetary value, but just of what it means to me and what it reminds me of. I can't believe I haven't lost it in 21 years of marriage um, because I've lost everything else in 21 years, but for some reason I've been able to keep a hold of this one. Uh, Everyone whose husband has lost a wedding ring just had their wife look at him just now, I just realized. So just look straight ahead, guys. Just look straight ahead. But this means a lot to me. But I know that at one point, this was probably just a dull, 
bit of metal that was in a rock somewhere that was dug out of the ground. Now, if you've ever seen gold in the rough or in the wild, it's usually just like little streaks that are stuck in a rock somewhere. Maybe it's a vein of it, but they're just pieces of it. It can make a rock look pretty, but it really has no purpose. But when a goldsmith sees a rock with a little vein of gold going through it, he doesn't just see this rock with a little vein of gold. He sees that there's a, there's a wedding ring in that. There's something of beauty. There's something of significance in there. But he can't just wish it into being a wedding ring. You see, this didn't come like this out of the wild. What he had to do was to take that rock and break off the big pieces of it to where it was just the raw material, the the raw metal. And then he had to take that gold ore and he had to put it into a crucible and stick it in a fiery furnace. And over the time that the metal heats up and begins to melt, a very interesting thing happens to that gold. Because when you dig this out of the ground, it's full of all kinds of impurities. Was it an impurity? Anything that's not gold. What makes gold impure? Anything that's not gold. And so when it gets put into this fiery furnace, the gold begins to settle to the bottom and all the things that are not gold, called dross, rises to the top. So underneath you have pure gold, but you have these impurities that have risen to the top. And the problem is, when you see this process, if you don't know better, when you look down into this crucible, what is it you actually see? You see the dross. You can't see the gold underneath it. You only see the impurities that are now at the surface because we can't see past the impurities. See, this is the problem with revival sometimes. We commit ourselves to this revival process because somehow we've caught wind that God sees this in us and not just the bare, rock, dull version of gold. So we commit ourselves to the process of revival. And we go, okay, if repentance and forgiveness is what's required, God, I'm going to continue to repent. And we start to open up our hearts to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, guess what He does? He turns up the heat. And He starts to bring us into the same furnace that the devil created, but He brings it into us with Him, with us. He brings us into this heat and He repurposes the furnace for His glory and not for the destruction that the enemy had planned. But when we commit ourselves, we go, okay, repentance and forgiveness, God, I want you to help reveal to me anyone who I need to forgive. And then guess what happens? The impurities start to come out. (laughs) And the dross starts to come out. And then we look into the crucible of our own hearts and all we see is, oh my gosh, I am the worst Christian ever. Because all we see, when we start this process of revival, we only see the impurities. And it's so easy to quit. 
It's one of the saddest things I've seen as a pastor is when people quit because they've begun this process of revival, but then they see all the unforgiveness that's in their heart. They see all the repentance they need to do, and they go, oh, I'm terrible, and they shrink back and they shrink away. But it's the process of refining. So do you know what the goldsmith does? When the dross comes up, he doesn't go, well, try with the next batch. He just takes a skimmer and he just goes, dumps out the dross, and then turns up the heat again. And as he turns up the heat again, a little bit more dross comes up, but it wasn't as much as it was before. And do you know what he does? Takes a skimmer, skims it away, dumps it. And then he takes what is now gold that has gotten rid of everything that's not gold, and he pours it into a mold that he created makes one of these, a ring that now has purpose. It symbolized the union of Romy and me. Thank goodness. You see, when you commit yourself to revival, you sometimes end up in a furnace. And it sometimes feels like, this is it, I'm gone. Because it looks a lot like the furnace that I was trying to avoid for most of my life. And it is. But God's given it a new purpose. God's taken the very thing the enemy has intended for you and thrown you into it. But in the process, all the things that are not kingdom, all the things that are not him, begin to rise to the surface. The problem is that that raw form of gold, you can't look at it and tell what the impurities are. It just doesn't shine like you think gold's supposed to shine. But you don't, you can't look at it and go, well, it's this, this. It's only when the heat gets turned up that the stuff rises. And then God will take your life and he'll pour it into the mold that he's designed for you and you'll discover a purpose that you never knew about. But you got to step into the fire. It's a refiner's fire. The very thing the enemy intended to destroy you, God uses to refine you. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, there's a Zechariah verse. Thanks, guys. We'll go to Genesis 50, 20 now. This is Joseph. Joseph was speaking of a time when his brothers threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery. He had like the, whole, the worst story ever. You talk about a guy that right when he rises to the top, gets thrown in prison again, that's his life. Like he makes the best of a bad situation, rises up, and then boom, ends up in a pit again. It's this constant cycle of up and down and up and down. But at the end of his life, or not the end of his life, t- towards the end of the story, he tells his brothers this. He says, you intended to harm me. But God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Do you know that that word intend, the Hebrew word for that actually means to weave. It means you have woven harm for me like a garment, like you have woven this for me to put this on me, to cover me in shame, to cover me in affliction, to cover me in an identity that just wants to tell me I'm something other than a son or a daughter of God. 
but God has woven it for good. Now, here's the picture. It's almost as if the devil is weaving together this garment, and it's like, ooh, this is affliction, this is cancer, this is family turmoil, this is divorce, this is all these things, and he's weaving it for you, and he's like, oh, and the, he's like, I can't wait to put this on him because it's going to keep them afflicted and dead their whole life. I just, ooh, I can't wait to do this. But God's on the other end, and he's like, I'm just going to redo all that. So here the devil is, and he's like, ooh, this is going to be awful, and on the other end, it's like God just undoing what he did and making it something completely different himself. That's the picture Joseph is painting. You wove one thing for me, God took the exact same garment, and as much as you're weaving one thing, he's weaving something else. So the enemy's done. He's like, ooh, can't wait to put him on him. Here is your garment of affliction. And he looks back and he goes, that's a garment of praise. I didn't do that. And he goes, ha, here is your cancer. They put it on him and go, that's a healing ministry. I didn't do that. What are you talking about? The very thing that the enemy has intended for you, God will use that very thing to bring about his purpose in you. Because he's removed, he, he uses the crucible, he uses the furnace to remove the impurities, and he weaves a different story for you than what the enemy had intended. I love that God does this. He turns the tomb into a womb. Think about this. Psalm 139 says, You knit me together in my mother's womb. Your eyes saw my unformed body. What looked like a tomb of that fiery furnace for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego became a womb. And it's like Jesus is in the womb. It's the same picture. And they come out new. They come out saved. They come out with everything that bound them taken off of them. When you understand that God is reweaving your story, He turns your tomb into a womb. He turns affliction into praise, broken into whole, death into life. What was a bruised heel becomes the crushed head of a serpent. He will change your story. He will reweave your story. And if there's anything that you need to know about what God does and His intention for you, is He is the author of your story. When you put the pen of your story in His hand, He writes it. He is the author of life, not the devil, not your background. He will write the story. He will finish the story. What the enemy is weaving for you will end up being a totally different garment than what he thinks it's going to be. I'm pretty excited about that. I think God's pretty good. And here's the last thing I'll end with this. As I was praying about this this week, I kind of put myself in that position of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's easy to look back in the story when they said, our God is able to save us and he, he will, but even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down to you. There's a part of me that's like, yeah, until you put yourself there and you're like, dang. I don't know which was harder. The fact that they were facing their death or the fact that they were going against the flow of everybody else. Sometimes it's easier to walk into death than it is to do something different to what everybody else is doing. And they're facing both. And I'm trying to picture myself there. and I see this furnace 
God, how do I respond to this furnace? Because I don't think they saw Jesus until they stepped in. The story doesn't tell us, but I, I think they would have said that if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if Jesus had been going like, come on, maybe I'd be a little bit more willing, but I, I reckon they didn't see him until they stepped in there. But how do we respond when we see the furnace in front of us? You know, many of you have been following these stories of the fires in Australia. And we're praying for that country. Thank you for praying, by the way. As I mentioned before, they, where Romy is, they've gotten rain the last two days, and those fires are almost put out. Just in time for me to get there. I'm leaving tomorrow, so just in time for me to get there. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but these bushfires are a fairly common occurrence in Australia. It's just that these happen to get a little closer to some of the population areas, so that's why it became a bigger threat. But Australia's had fires for thousands of years. It's a very dry, windy, and hot country. And there's an interesting thing that happens in these fires. Because when they burn through the outback in these places where nobody lives, it seems to destroy everything. Like, just completely burned out. But when in six months... There's a forest there again. But it's the forest of one particular tree called the gum tree or the eucalyptus tree. Eucalyptus tree is the most common tree in all of Australia, and there's a reason for it. It's actually most common in Australia because of these fires. You see, a eucalyptus tree has leaves with eucalyptus oil. You know eucalyptus oil you ever what the koalas eat all the time and it drops its leaves every year and eucalyptus oil is actually very flammable like it's a great fire starter people use it for campfires all the time and the leaves it seeps out of the leaves and it drops its leaves every year and just creates this carpet right in front of it of flammable leaves and its bark is paper thin it's kind of like our, the version of our birch trees. You ever seen a river birch where it just kind of peels away like paper? And so the bark is always falling down around the tree. So underneath this tree is flammable leaves and the best tender nature has ever known by this bark that falls down there. And then up the tree, it's these peels of bark that kind of flake off the tree as it goes up to the top. And up in the top is the canopy where it has all of its seed pods. They call these trees gasoline trees because they literally are the most flammable thing that nature has ever produced. You see, the gum tree is asking for the fire. It wants the fire. Do you know why? Because as soon as these leaves start on fire, it starts to gather around it. And the fire crawls up the bark that's been peeled away. And it shoots straight up to the tree. But when it reaches the seed pods, these seeds require fire in order to open up. The water won't open it up. This tree is designed to multiply by fire. When the trees become a flame. And as soon as it goes to the top of the tree and hits these seed pods, they explode and scatter their seed 
all over the ground. And now because the ground is full of ash from everything else that's burnt, it's the perfect fertile environment for that seed to take root. And so within six months, all the other trees that are non-native species have been burned away and all you have is a gum tree eucalyptus forest thriving more than it ever did. Not every tree in the forest can take the fire. Not every Christian can take the furnace. But those that are willing to step into the fire will be just like that gum tree. And what you thought was intended to destroy you, God will repurpose and use it to refine you, to become something beautiful which multiplies itself. And the only thing that gets eliminated from these forest fires are the invasive species that were never supposed to be there in the first place. But God designed this country to survive fires. He designed the outback to need fire in order to multiply. You won't hear this in the news a lot, trust me. Because there's other political agendas that are attached to what's happening there right now. And I'm not talking about those. But I'm using this as an example of what God's called us to. When you understand what happens when we step into the furnace that God intended, that, 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 when we step into the furnace that the enemy intended for our destruction, but that God repurposes for our refining and for our purpose, when we understand this, we'll be just like that gum tree and we'll say, bring the fire. Enemy, you can bring whatever you want. I'm no longer praying that God will keep the enemy from attacking me. I'm walking in saying, I don't care what the devil is doing in my city because he who is with me is greater than he that was in the world. And if the worst happens is that I explode up and burn because of the, enemy, the enemy's attacks, then we at least have a church full of people who will rise back up again and cause this city to thrive for a kingdom purpose that are not just here to see what God can do for them, to see them blessed and thriving and rich and powerful and all the things the world's supposed to say we're supposed to have. But I understand that I'm here for a bigger purpose than that. And I welcome the flame of affliction because God will repurpose that to give me a garment of praise. Amen? Would you pray with me tonight? And I actually just want to give everybody here. Actually, there's a couple of things that I felt that I wanted to pray for tonight. I know it's a little bit of a different message, but I really felt my heart to pray for families tonight. Those of you that are facing a furnace of your family. There's affliction in your family. There is pain in your family. I don't know if it was tied into coming out of the holidays or it's, it's some of us having unsaved family members, just not having breakthrough in that area. I just want to encourage you that God will use that same fire to refine you. 
And here's the encouragement I want you to leave with. That guy Joseph that said that in Genesis chapter 50, his brothers had sold him into slavery, left him for dead, told his father that he got killed by a wild animal. He was forsaken by those who were supposed to be caring for him. Where he was supposed to receive love, he only got pain. But Joseph grew old with his brothers and with his dad. Because the very affliction that the enemy intended for him just kept promoting Joseph year after year after year to where he ended up in a place where he saved his own family and the very brothers that tried to kill him grew old with him in love and forgiveness as a family. And so God, I pray for every person here tonight that's dealing with the pain of family, where things feel and may seem like they're insurmountable and they're impossible. God, you are a God of the impossible. And I thank you that what seems like just an attack of the enemy that's meant to be endured, God, tonight we're proclaiming your victory over it. And we willingly step into the fire that we need to step into, knowing that you're with us in the fire. There's joy in the flames. And God, we speak life into those families. We speak salvation into our mothers, our fathers, our sons, our daughters, and our brothers and our sisters. In Jesus' name. The other people I want to pray for here tonight is those who have been battling physical illness. Because I do believe that what the enemy has tried to bring onto you is the very thing that God's going to use to bring healing to others. And so I want you to do something with me tonight. I'm not one to embarrass anybody here. But if you've had cancer, would you raise your hand tonight? Either you're battling it now, you have had it. Yeah. We proclaim over you tonight hands that heal. That when you lay hands on the sick, they will be healed. That the very thing that you've been afflicted with by the enemy will be the very thing that you see healed in others with your own hand. Because rivers of living water are flowing from you. And the very tool of the enemy that he beat you with, you will pick up and beat him with for the rest of your life. We speak healing into your body. And God, I thank you for those healing hands. That as they lay hands on the sick, they are healed. I don't need to experience the healing myself to see you work miracles through my hands. And God, I thank you right now for what you're doing in each one of these people. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com. 